to Sonic Talk number 256. We're recording today live on Wednesday, the 22nd of February, uh, 2012. Uh, my name's Nick Bat. I'm editor of sonicstate.com. Here we are in our new studio. In fact, you can see, uh, if I use that finger there, I've just put up some new trussing. Uh, you won't be able to see because I'm not sending video back to the uh, participants, but I've got some trussing up there, which I very cunningly made out of a, a two-part ladder rather than out of really expensive um, uh, tri us which costs a fortune and doesn't come in the length that we need so i'm very pleased i'm feeling kind of replete and all diy-tastic so anyway, i want to say hello and welcome to our guest we've got a fulsome chat room this week uh, which is always nice to see our amazing turbo brain as we say there they go flying past in their comments and i want to say thank you to them because uh, they always help us out and uh, the show is that's an extra frisson knowing that there are people actually listening to what we're saying as we're saying it <laughs> don't know about you it just, just does for me that first little chuckle there you heard was gaz williams gaz from songsurgeon.co.uk, our resident uh, Welsh record producer uh, based in Bristol um, and also co-host of Sonic Touch, our iPad show, which we're hoping to shoot the first episode of the new uh, in the new studio here tomorrow. So uh, mm. we'll see more of Gaz. Anyway, glad you made it, Gaz. Good yeah, great. Uh, thank you. Um, we've got a special episode planned for tomorrow, haven't we? Uh, yes, I do really hope so. That. I've still got a little bit of preparation to do myself. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> it's all going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how, how have you been? I, 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 we're in, there was a bit of pre-show. You were talking a little bit about the eggs. You've got a pair of uh, Monroe, SE Electronics Monroe eggs in, right? Uh, yeah, they're here on a uh, trial basis, which SE are offering for anyone who's interested. Uh, and, and that's quite good fun because you can A, B between your monitors, uh, your current monitors and them. Uh, and, and it's very revealing when you do that. Um, I, uh, I've got Genelex Genelec monitors here, which I've had for a number of years and I really like. But uh, when you compare them directly against the eggs, you get a, uh, a real sense of uh, just how much cabinet resonance affects the sound you're hearing. And the eggs are remarkably open. Um, well, I know that because um, PJ's got some as well, um, and perhaps you can compare notes a little bit later. But we'll say hello to PJ Tracy from uh, PJTracySound.com. Uh, PJ's our resident composer, Emmy-winning composer, and studio owner. Currently in the middle of a studio fit, so uh, you know, I imagine PJ might be a little distracted as well, thinking about patch points and all of those things that one has to have in the. Uh, pr- all up in the air at the same time. How's it all going? Yeah, it's going well. Um, I think we're we're kind of coming towards the end of this uh, this process, and uh, I'm looking forward to having uh, kind of a, a fully functioning workflow happening very soon here. Hey, Nick, I just wanted to mention that I'm hearing um, you and Gaz okay. at the very least echoing. I've got you. I've got it's it's because now because I switched the uh, the theme tune send back in and I haven't switched it off yet, but it's on. I see. It's uh, it's gone now, so you should be all right. Now you don't. Now you don't. No longer sound like a boxing announcer. That's. I'm not sure. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I quite like the idea of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's a good way to start the show. (laughs) Um, So uh, yeah, and you've got a pair of eggs as well, right? Have you bought them or have you still got yours on trial? Um, Mine are no longer on trial. I bought them. 
Uh, and uh, I, yeah, I love them. I have compared them to the uh, two other sets of Genelec monitors that I happen to have and prefer them um, very much over over those two sets of monitors. It's interesting, isn't it? Monitor choice seems to go like it, it spreads like a sort of virus, doesn't it, through things? You know, you get because I, I was seeing, you know, for ages it was uh, Genelec 1029s and various things like that. Then it was the... Uh, uh, I forget the um, the rockets, the KRKs, and it's you know then there, there's another one at the moment which I forget the name of them. That there's just sort of you tend to see them. They go through, they sort of sweep through engineers. Uh, do you find that um, that the I think these sort of feel like they're very much the uh, the current the current favourite. Uh, well, I think it might be too new to tell. I mean, there's a lot of buzz surrounding them um, here in the U.S. We were we were quite possibly one of the first facilities to actually get a hold of them because we were definitely one of the one of the few to order them directly from the US distributor so i think i think it might be too you too they're too new to tell whether or not they'll catch on like that but for us it was it was we wanted to give these a try because the the price point is far lower but we were thinking of um of getting a pair of um barefoot sound micromains i'm not and, familiar with those but uh... Those are considerably more expensive right. than, the, than the eggs. And uh, so it was sort of, uh, we kind of figured we'd, we'd wind up settling on something like that. But then we got delivery of these and we were anxious to try them out because there was a lot of buzz. And my studio partner has had several conversations with, um, uh, you know, with some folks that know Andy Monroe. And, and we ah. thought, uh, yeah, so. Easy choice. Well, PJ, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we'll now jump to Mr. Mark Tinley. Haven't seen you for a little while. I can see Mark there reaching for his phone. So uh, how are you there, Mark? Are you well? I'm very well, thank you. I'm at, and I'm actually doing some work, which is very bizarre for me because I don't normally do that very often. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been in the studio all day fiddling around with things, and I've discovered that something I did in 1996 actually has virtually no audio tracks in it at all. It was all... Um, I've, I used to use the Pro Tools 4-track as a, as a way of making samples. So I'd just record things, cut it into samples, and bung it in a sampler. So absolutely everything, the whole track is constructed, vocals and everything, from a sampler. Oh, wow. How are you, <laughs> how, and how are you... So when you came to bring the multi-track back, it's like, oops, nothing's there. There isn't one. <laughs> there's no multi-track. That's the problem they're having. They're, they want to do a remix, and there's no multi-track. So, <laughs> so does that mean you've got to I'm reconstruct it again? Well, I'm making one now, yeah. Ah, oh, 16 man. years after the fact. You must have a good memory for it. You retain that sort of information, though. I know you've got a good memory for that sort of thing, um, haven't you? I have got quite a good memory. And given that I actually have named none of the tracks, they're all called Sample Cell 1, Sample Cell 2. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like going, hmm, I wonder what that could be. And then you have to sort of look at the MIDI and go, hmm, that might be drums. Possibly a symbol. <laughs> oh, you bad boy! Sixteen-year, yeah, hiatus from that. That's yeah. Anyway, Mark, likebeing.com. Very pleased to have you aboard. Thank you for joining us. It's the first you've seen of our uh, of our spacious new office, I believe, as well. Although you can't actually Indeed. see it because I'm not sending the stream back because that seemed to be one reason we were having this kind of glitching and problems. So uh, I'm I'm killing the stream. But anyway, you welcome. Have to send me a picture then. I will send you a picture. And uh, we'll say hi to Rich Hilton there from Hiltonius.com. Uh, mix engineer, player, member of Chic, traveling disco, songmeister. You're about, you're about, are you going on the road? 
I usually call it the traveling disco flea circus. You you about to go? Do you about to yeah. do some gigs? Yeah, like I don't know. I don't think I'll be here next week. I'm leaving for Australia in a week. Ah, right, cool. And then things will really be confusing for me in terms of trying to do these. I'll have to consult with Kiwi Steve for some advice. Ten ten hours ahead, roughly, depending on where you are. So that's going to be uh, impossible because it'll be basically two in the morning. Two in the morning. Yeah. No, that's right after the gig. What do you oh, mean? Well, oh yeah, well, we've done it. We've done it before, <laughs> haven't we? That was brilliant when you were you were in a hotel in uh, in Tokyo. in Tokyo, and that was that was just Tokyo, yeah. I was very honoured that you uh, that you made the effort. We might just do that again this year. Fantastic. That'd be absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Well, good luck in all your gigs anyway, and thank you very much for joining us. I suppose we should probably talk about some topics because I haven't really got anywhere yet without, <laughs> without even bothering uh, without getting there. So um, let's see. Uh, the first thing that I found this week was, was kind of interesting. I'll play this. Hi, everyone. My name is Richard Flanagan. And I'm Hank Bell. And we're Phosphine Systems, a small three-person indie studio based in Montreal, Canada. So we're going to show you a bit of the game we've been working on. It's called Fract OSC, and it's still in development, so keep in mind that it's a work in progress. Fract is a first-person puzzle adventure game for PC and Mac. It's kind of like Myst meets Res meets Tron, and it's set in a weird, broken-down, abstract world. Everything is built on sounds and structures inspired by electronic music. And Fract OSC focuses specifically on synthesizers and with that bombshell i'll uh, i'll i'll switch back to me um this is quite an interesting idea actually um it's been a while since we've had a look at a game i mean so there's been some musical games that we've looked at in the past which have been kind of fun and interesting and this this uh is called fract yeah fract osc it's by richard flanagan uh I can't pronounce that the other somebody called Hank Boom which I think is a fantastic name for a music game producer uh, it's a first point of edge game um, it's uh, it's sort of you're presented puzzles from a first person perspective a bit like the classic mist and it's sort of it's not you know all kind of super duper real world with uh, with people sort of jumping about or everything but it it's quite yeah, that's a good one rescue princess Delius Derbyshire yeah I like that thank you what a great idea. Thank you, Rob GS. Well, that's that's one of the things it's missing, so it's that's why it's so funny. Did anyone get a chance? I downloaded it, actually, this morning and, uh, and had a quick look at it um, just to see. And it's quite it's quite basic and quite mislike, but uh, I like the idea that it's inspired by synthesizers and there's lots of musical puzzles and stuff in there that which I had a go at, but I couldn't get... I couldn't even solve the first one. And I was like, well, I, and I just... I, I don't... I, I don't have much patience for games that require me to spend lots of time figuring out how to do something. You know, it's like... It's bad software interface design. You know, it's like the antithesis of what I want in my everyday life, I suppose. But... Um, I know. What did you think, Gaz? You enjoy this? Your your video is good mm. today, I must say. Oh, um, yeah. I thought it looked really good fun. I mean, uh, and as you complete levels, you then uh, you then gain extra functions for your. You, you start with a, with a studio without any functionality, and then as you complete a level, you then sort of you then actually build modules up in your own studio. And the idea being that you learn how to use each of the modules in completing the levels so the uh, idea is that once you all assemble it into one big studio you understand what all the components are and how to operate them and you can make music with it so it's that idea i think is a very clever idea that's the underlying idea however you isn't know, that a bit like just reactor only <laughs> you can actually use it for stuff 
I think what they're trying to say is that they're trying to appeal to people who maybe don't know how to use these things. So who kind of, you know, by playing the game, figuring out the puzzle, you're actually learning about sort of music making and sort of the different tools and um, in doing that. So it's it's quite a clever, quite a clever idea. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know in practice how that will actually uh you know, if you'd be able to make decent music on it. But um, from what I gather, then, you can actually then bounce your music out of it. So you've actually, you know, built a studio out of um, gaming. A clever idea. Yeah, it could be. I guess, I mean, we've talked about this sort of thing in the past, haven't we? Well, quite a lot we talk about, in, you know, interfaces. In fact, only last week we were talking about interfaces that uh, obscure usage. But I suppose if it's labelled as a game, then that's a completely different mm. thing. I know, Mark, this, you, you've done quite a lot of work on um, Second Life stuff, haven't you? So I'm guessing this might be something that, uh, that has a resonance with you, or am I making a, a wild assumption there? Um, I, I, it's not really my area this particular you know gaming or any of that sort of stuff i'm not uh overly keen on playing games not even simple ones i did i did buy mist when that came out because everybody said it was so brilliant so i thought i'd better try and get that and i don't think i ever completed the first level so i think uh there's a learning curve to even being able to play games isn't there and i've never really gotten past that um and second life is interesting because the characters that you interact with in second life are actually other real people yes i suppose so. it's a different be, thing, isn't it? pretending to be avatars and stuff so it kind of works a bit more like the real world it's a bit more um i don't know chaotic i suppose yeah well that, um, there's something that game designers can't design into it yeah i suppose that interactivity is yeah i mean i'm very good at solving puzzles but i'm not very good at working out how these things work so i don't think my brain works in the same way as the designers of games because i think they're designed i think you have to have played games for a while to understand the interface don't you like anything else i guess yeah maybe so i don't know it's, it's kind of fun i mean and obviously you've done sound i mean i, I like the idea that there's is a lot of synthesis driven stuff and that kind well, of makes so, sense the drum machine thing in there looked quite interesting or the synth thing where he'd got the the pattern sequencer and then it kind of came up and the interface came up and then he was clicking on things and stuff. I mean, it's got some good concepts. I'd like to see it when it's finished, I think, and see what it, you know, mm. what exactly it is that it does. Yeah, well, I think they're going, I mean, they're, they're, work, they're work in progress. I think they're going to independent game um developers convention and doing some more stuff on it pj you've done uh installation stuff and you'll kind of often have to make sounds for uh, doing sounds for kind of interactive environments is this the sort of thing that can you appreciate on that level oh most definitely on on the level that it's offered i think um back when i was a much younger person and had a lot of free time on my hands i played mist when it first came out and I was one of those that got sucked into it and literally spent 52 hours in front of the computer and then completed it. And had this been that game, I think I would have been, you know, in heaven because it's kind of a, you know, obviously right up our alley being, being musicians. But um, I think it's a great idea. I think it's really fun. And I, I don't know that it's necessarily aimed at, you know, content creators and musicians for an actual environment for content creation but more like what gaz was saying as as kind of a hybrid learning tool 
and and a game, you know, so that people at least that's what I got out of watching the teaser video, so that people can play the game, complete the puzzles, learn a little something about composing electronic music with these tools, and then maybe make something of relevance to themselves and possibly others. So I think that you know that's a that's a great idea. You could see a lot of different um, ways they could branch out with it. You could you could teach rudimentary even more complex mm-hmm. music theory. Um, harmonic structure theory. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot of things you could do with a with a system like this. So it's, I think it's really really cool. It's a really no, great idea. Be interesting if that, that was the case. I mean, yeah. I can't help but think there must be other ways of doing it that don't involve having to navigate around a three dimensional space and find you know things to unlock or whatever. I know, Rich. Well, it doesn't appeal to you, Nick. Per, you no, know, I, per, I suppose it doesn't. Yeah, I just, I just want to get to get on with it. I don't like anything in the way. Yeah. I suppose sure. so it's, it's, it's almost the complete antithesis of something I would enjoy. So I suppose, <laughs> so, but I just okay. thought it was an interesting project and obviously there's a lot of, uh, a lot yeah. of potential there. No, Rich, what do you think? Uh, what do I think? Well, I, lo- I, uh, <laughs> I like Gaz on a con- purely basic conceptual level. Maybe it's not such a bad idea. Um, now, I should say, I don't play a lot of games either, but I do work for a guy who is one of the biggest game soundtrack distributors in the world, and perhaps the biggest. So I see a lot of them, and I see a lot of them in development. And what my review of this thing is going to sound like is a list of the things that are missing, but I have to be forgiving because they say it's a very, very early attempt. Wow, that was a flurry of typing. Whoever just... <laughs> whoever just yeah, there was this gas. Aha, it was you. Um... There's Oops. no plot. There are no characters. There's virtually no soundtrack. There's no particular point. The sequencer interface is interesting, but not for the not after the third time you've used it. Um, the controls aren't really well labeled in a way that would lead one who is not otherwise synthetically inclined to figure out what they do and why. Um, the environment itself looks like it's about 15 years old and came from an original Nintendo. Uh, so that, you know, there's a lot missing, but they say straight out it's under development. It's very mm. early. We're not ready to go yet. You know, like we're nowhere. Yeah. To yeah. yeah. I understand. So who knows what this is really is going to be, but what it is right now is uh, something I wouldn't have shown to the public. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I suppose that that's a fair point. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, and I, I guess my my whole take on the concept is my brain fills in what it is that they're attempting to do with what they showed and what they say they plan on doing. They plan on making a game that's similar to Mist, or you know, a combination of Mist, Tron, and Res, which means that it's a you know it's a puzzle game. And if you played Mist, Mist is not dissimilar to that environment in that it doesn't look anything like it it was actually much better looking than that environment but yeah but i don't think they put the textures in yet i mean i think right i I don't think but i mean maybe so you're wandering around a kind of broken down abandoned world and you're attempting how to figure out how everything fits together via all of these little puzzles and then puzzles are embedded inside of puzzles and that kind of thing so yeah it'll be interesting to see where they go with it i i completely agree with rich it looks it looks very early and probably not ready for show but it's it's a it's it's great well perhaps we could uh we'll skirt skirt along from that and maybe move on to something else but uh that's fractus you can uh find it on uh i think it's fract the game uh richardflanagan.com um so yeah do do 
do check it out. You could download a bit. I did download one here, but I, I, I didn't want to risk running it and trying to screen grab, considering all the uh, technical difficulties we've had in the past. So, anyway, um, let's take a look now. Oh, actually, I think what I'll do is I'll just quickly do a, a hello to our advertisers, and then we'll come back with the uh, some more interesting topics. So, I want to say thank you very much to uh, Yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show. Uh, what you're seeing here, if you're watching the video feed, which I heartily recommend you do, sonicstate.com forward slash live 4pm, is footage for the new Yamaha 01V96i digital mixer. It's a compact digital mixer. It's got a bunch of extra stuff inside it. It's got uh, VCM effects, 16-in, uh, 16-out USB 2 audio streaming, uh, new head amps, which are the same ones as they use in the new Steinberg interfaces, which are supposed to be really, really tasty. Uh, 40 mixing channels, 32 mono, 4 stereo, 16 analog and 8 digital inputs, uh, 24-bit 96K ADDA, 8 auxiliary 8 mix buses, 100mm motorised phasers, up to 4 effects, Steinberg QSR, Cubase AI included. You've also got uh, ADAT IO as standard. You don't have to use uh, any YGDAI expansion slots, although there is a spare one there. So uh, please do check it out. Um, Go to your local Yamaha dealer, run some audio through it, uh, try the plugins. Uh, there's lots and lots of... Uh, great things about Yamaha Desk. I must admit, I, we run the entire Sonic State setup through a Yamaha DM1000, which is similar technology, um, but perhaps a bit older, I think, um, and not quite as uh, as tasty, I think. I'd like to get one in and try it out, and I suggest that you go over to your local dealer, whether you're in the States or wherever you are in the world, and try it out. Uh, for more information, you can try this bit.ly uh, URL, which is bit.ly slash 01v96i. That's bit.ly slash 01v96i. So thank you very much to Yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show. Right. So uh, what's next? Um, this was kind of interesting. I'm not sure how much of it I can play because of the, uh, the copyright issues, but um, let's give it a go, eh? Yes, ready? So this is OK Go, and they're in a car. I'm going to probably play a few snippets of it because it's, uh, it's quite long. So the sound is essentially making all the noise. And the whole video is basically uh, this car journey around this course with things attached to it that hit things in time. It's an absolutely amazing piece of construction. I mean, that must have taken so much planning and also training to be able to drive at that consistent speed. And the sort of thing that, you know, how many takes would you have had to do? You imagine having to string up all of those glass bottles. I mean, God. So, um, I know, it's kind of great, great piece of fun. And um, I, d I did have a, a clip of the actual original track, but uh, I don't have it to hand at the moment. Good, good thing. I imagine, Mark, this is, you're the sort of engineer and the kind of man who likes to make things out of metal in you probably just thought, is that a job you'd like to have had <laughs> working on that video? It sounds like it would have been I great. St I started watching it and I thought, what's this about? And then the things were dangling on the front of the car and I thought, oh, that's clever. And by the time I was about a minute in, I was absolutely gobsmacked. I was sitting going like, oh, my God. I mean, it must have taken so long to put that together and to plan it out, like you say. And to, where did they get all those pianos? Or have they done some very clever editing thing to make it look like there's 
lots of pianos when there really aren't. Or, There's probably a I big loop, yeah. How much did that cost to make that? A million, a million bucks, I think. And there was, there was um, <laughs> not only that, did you see all the guitars? There was, must have been I mean, two or three hundred guitars. It, basically. I mean, amazing, totally amazing, gobsmacked. It's a very interesting thing. I don't know, it's kind of quite, it's almost like performance art, really. It's, it's gone from the realms of just standard musical kind of output to performance. And they're a very interesting band, OK Go, because they now, they don't rely on sales at all. There was a recent article, actually, which was saying, you know, they've got like hundreds of millions of YouTube views, and it's a fraction of the income that they get. It's just sort of small. In fact, their manager said it's like finding change on the street. It's hardly worth anything. I mean, it really is kind of astonishing. And the way that they now work is by doing these partnership sponsorship deals. With In this case, it was Chrysler because they supplied the car and it's a huge piece of viral marketing. And, you know, so they get, they get I guess they get something akin to a record advance out of somebody like Chrysler and there have been other companies that they work with. It's a very interesting way of doing things. I know, PJ, uh, you kind of... Um, you know, you, you've done quite a lot of sound design and installation stuff. And also, it just seems like a, a great model, do you not? Uh, <laughs> although it must take a lot of time to uh, for people to actually <laughs> actually put together. I've never done anything like that. <laughs> oh, well, that <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's uh, it's pretty amazing. I, it was really, really fun to watch. Um, in terms of the, the, the corporate uh, sponsorship model, I think this seems to be you know, definitely an uptrend. I was reading a, a blog post by um, Jack Conti, who is one half of the band Pomplamoose. And he was talking about the same thing, how he's, you know, he's moving towards towards that as well as being sort of the sole source of, of income for, for his music making. Uh, I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, obviously I make my living generally, you know, write, writing music that's essentially ad music. And, uh, I get some emails through the show and from other people asking, you know, uh, how do you get into it and how is it to sell your soul? Who <laughs> says you and, have? That's a harsh. That's that's very. I harsh. know, I know, I know, and and, and it, nobody's harsh. They're 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 more inquisitive about it. You know, oh, I don't I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do that. And I make the distinction that you know the music that I write is is for hire, mixing up sort of the rock and roll world and the pop world, although it's been done forever in a day. And even those back in the day that, that did it, you know, purely as uh, as artistic expression, uh, you know, have, have all sold out, you know, long since sold out in the form of the who and, 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 and Led Zeppelin and all of this. So I guess it's here to stay. I, I don't know. There is still a part of me that reacts a little bit. There's a twinge I have when I see, especially, you know, young, young bands kind of up and coming and, and, um, I don't know enough about OK Go to, to know really, but, um, you know, that are getting, that are just kind of breaking in the, in this world. And, and the first thing they're doing is partnering up with large corporations. I, I guess that's just the, the, the way of it now, you know, nowadays. It's, but. it's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, in some ways it's very akin to, you know, if you're a, an attractive young woman and you want to be a songwriter that probably you want to get you know well known you you're probably going to be better off making some kind of salacious video to get your uh, yourself yeah. known and it, it it's a sort of similar principle i suppose uh, uh, it's just 
it's just a, le- a, a path less trodden, perhaps. I'm not sure. And I guess I'm being a little, a little inarticulate about it because I haven't really worked out all my internal emotions, you know, <laughs> surrounding, surrounding the model. But, uh, but I think, I think we'll probably definitely see a lot more of this, you mm. know, as, um, you know. As I think so. Uh, Rich, what do you think? Uh, I found it very entertaining. And like Mark was fascinated and amazed by the by the setup of the physical thing that they did. I don't think what you're hearing has anything to do with what you're seeing. Um, and I think listening to a car rev is all the evidence you need of that while you're in the middle of the thing, because the car cannot possibly maintain a speed that constant in that kind of an environment. It just can't be done. Mm. Okay. So... Therefore, how I believe it was done, and somebody's asking in the chat room now, uh, is I believe it started on paper as an installation design. And then they created the music that would make that installation design work. That's my suspicion as to how it was done. And then they went out and filmed it. Then the filming of it is what is really so magnificent to me. Right. Yeah, because don't, Rich, don't you think they would have had to have done all the proper measurements to figure out, you know, at what speed and interval they needed objects in the car to be traveling in order to go evenly, along? No, because as long as they're evenly spaced, you can make the video as fast or as slow as you want. Oh yeah, I suppose I suppose that's right. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. What am I thinking? Ah, you so can just you... Time, you can time stretch chunks of video to fit the music. Ah, do you, you think that's maybe what's happened then, Rich? They just time stretched it to to get it to work. Well, no, maybe they worked played better, in the car while they were better. driving and went for it on a clip-by-clip basis, but... Um, oh, interesting. That's an interesting... No, I, yeah, no, I, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Why would you try to record that? <laughs> <laughs> when you can make it first and then go film it. I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's an interesting idea. I mean, it still, it still works... Um, it still works as a concept, though, I think. Absolutely. So it, I, I started out saying it was great. I loved it. Hmm. I don't hold them, you know, I don't hold their feet to some sort of mythical fire on this. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. <laughs> no. I'm fine with it. I would like but, to know the, the, the inner secrets of how they do it. I know, Gaz, did you, uh, did you get a chance to look at it? And was it, were there any, any hints for you? <laughs> um, well, they've obviously put a lot of attention into it to make you think that it's been recorded you know you can see the microphones on the car and you know and it seems a shit you know i i want to believe that what you're hearing is what actually happened um, i don't think that's the case but um you know uh it certainly has the illusion of it which is which is cool um uh, <laughs> i mean okay go have really created a name for themselves as being the most innovative video makers possibly of all time really i mean the the one that they did like the big uh, rube goldstein thing is i think it's possibly the best <laughs> that's the best one i've ever seen i think that would be goldberg goldberg oh, sorry <laughs> that's all right i was actually going to say heath robinson but i modified it for you that's american good. types and i and got it wrong it. and we love you for it <laughs> it's better that you got it wrong actually <laughs> it is believe me <laughs> uh, um you know so 
you know, kud- great kudos to them for, for doing it. And, you know, so even if it's fake, I don't really care. I want to believe it's real, you know, because I am. But the guy, he took stunt driving lessons, didn't he? The the singer did. Well, that's what he says, one. yeah. I mean, that makes, um, it, again, that adds to the sort of, the, the, the feeling you think, oh, that's why he's so good at driving at that, you know. But it might <laughs> actually be, you know. Yeah, but, you know, I don't care, to be honest if it's real or fake, the whole idea of it, concept of it, and also the, the massive effort that went into it, or you know, uh, makes it really good in my book. KRS-80, my missus uh, thought uh, thought it was recorded live, but she also believes in ghosts and LFOs, yeah. LFOs? <laughs> U- UFOs, even. <laughs> LFOs, I believe, I believe in LFOs. Ah, <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> I believe in LFOs. Do you? In I fact, I've got one. <laughs> There's one actually performing on the, doing something for the, uh, what's that doing? That's the Monotron, Monotribe with the uh, MIDI retrofit kit. I was playing around with it earlier. But anyway, that's, that's that, actual LFO. Wow. That, that is an actual LFO. I've seen one. It's right there. There it is. It's going very <laughs> fast at the moment. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyway, the OK Go thing, it's, it's just a very interesting um, shift as well. I mean, I think that whole idea that you can change, you know, they are the people that have really sort of grabbed hold of this new model and gone, well, we'll do it this way and kind of built a, a way. But not, there's, there's only room for one or two of those, aren't there, really? There's not going to be an awful lot of OK Goes in the world because uh, the whole value of it all would uh, would disintegrate. And, and you'd have to... I mean, they must have a brilliant creative director or have a, some brilliant minds in the band that enable them to kind of come up with, consistently with these. Because essentially, what a lot of their videos are based around illusion, aren't they? The idea of doing these amazing things in some respects that, that look impossible and making them seem possible, I suppose. Yeah, but I, yeah, I've noticed, though, there are a lot... Of, there is a video now of... Going back to the Rube... Rube Goldberg. Gold- Berg one, there's a video of like you know, oh, trying to point out where the because this all looks like it's one continual shot, and someone's like posted a video trying to show where all the kind of seams are and trying to sort of you know discredit the 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 whole idea of it. But you know, I kind of think, yeah, fool, you know, it's great, it's great, you know, leave leave them alone. Doesn't matter if it's fake; <laughs> it's good entertainment. Excellent. Well, if anybody else got anything to add on that, we could move on to our uh, next topic, um, which I believe, I think I was going to go for the uh, automatic automation, just because I thought it might generate an interesting um, set of uh, uh, discussions. Here we have, this is the uh, Melder Production M Auto Volume, which is basically... uh, it rides the volume. It's kind of, I guess, it's like a kind of a much larger scale compressor. I suppose we're thinking a way, wanting another way of putting it, and it just rides the volume um, for you and writes the automation. Or um, I'm not entirely sure how it does. It doesn't doesn't give me the entire uh, uh, signal path, but it's only twenty bucks and actually pretty uh, pretty good value. But what it did for me was really was. How do you use automation in your mix? Because, I mean, now we can use automation, you know, on pretty much every single parameter that we want. I mean, and do do you tend to do that or do you tend to try and let it breathe and sort of keep things nailed down with compression? I mean, you know, when you're working within the box. I know, Rich, you know, you are Mr. In the Box basically now as well, although you do have <laughs> extra, extra... There you are. Look, you're in a box right there. <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> um, do, what, how do you approach automation? What sort of criteria would you apply before you would automate? I mean, you know, or would you would you prefer to sort of nail the dynamics through other methods? Well, you know, I always wanted to be able to draw the automation on the audio. 
I I'm I actually always liked that idea of having that degree of precision available. But over the weekend, I was working on a large scale console for the first time in a long time, and I rekindled my love affair with the fader. But at work, I don't do that. And at work, I generally draw the automation that I need onto the edit window rather than perform it with a mouse. Right. Okay. So you just do do it that way, rather. So there's no dynamic. There's no. There's no dynamic kind of interaction of you moving a fader or, or any other automation side of things. Like well, a control I mean, surface. initially there is. Initially, I mean, in other words, I'll set up my basic levels, obviously, using the mixer side, say, of Pro Tools or Logic or Ableton or whatever, you know, the faders. Yeah. Uh, in other words, I'll push faders until I've got a basic balance, you know, because that doesn't require you actually operating the mouse as some sort of mechanical replacement for having your finger on a fader, which I don't like to do. But, I, you know, you know what I mean? In the real-time sense of pushing a syllable in a vocal or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, so for me... I kind of I don't mind a fader, and I could see the value of having some, but I have no problem at all drawing uh, volume pan, pretty much any kind of plug-in automation I want uh, into the edit window. I, that's actually how I prefer to work. Right. Oh, it's interesting because I, I, I always really like the idea of you know actually performing a kind of you know you do a vocal pass and you ride the vocal and then you go back and you tweak it when it's not right and modify and what have you. I know Gaz. You know, I mean, you're similar. You know, you're doing uh, you, you work sort of quite fast in a, in a certain in recording environment. Do mm. you get the same sort of approach for mixing? I mean, how do you tend to approach for automation? Uh, clip gain, really. That's my main thing because uh, I like to see the uh, I like to see the the volume represented in the size of the waveform. I find so the so being able to you know which I know Pro Tools ten can now do as well. Uh, finally, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know that it's um, I I tend to sort of slice bits by sections and then sort of I like being able to control a whole part. If I need to then go in and adjust a uh, a part within it uh then i'll then i'll use automation and i'll tend to draw it in with the mouse um i've got uh a few different sort of control surfaces which i've used over the years um like uh, you mean all the ones that are on the floor are no longer being used yeah i've got a bunch of those too yeah uh but when I write, when I draw automation in using something like this, uh, the, this is an Alpha Track uh, Frontier Labs Alpha Track. I tend to sort of get um, too much tw- um, twinges or too many little bits that not smooth enough for some reason. I'm not sure why that is. So um, I don't really find that to be hugely useful. So as I say, I think that for me, clip gain is the uh, is the best way I found for, for that's for volume automation only, mind. So yeah, I should, sure. um, mention that's that. Inter- no, uh, I, I mean, I use when I'm editing video. That's what I tend to use a lot as well. Just kind of mm-hmm. you know, just, that's a bit quiet. Normalize and clip, clip game. You know, the, the two, the, yeah, the, the two tools I tend to use. Yeah, it's it certainly in terms of speed. It's, I think that's the quickest way of working, really. Um, uh, and uh, actually, I think I really enjoy Ableton Live's uh, automation uh, approach. I think that's really good fun. I like the idea that you just drag out a section and then you can just grab the, you know, that you can just move it directly, whatever's highlighted. So say you've got like a, say you've got like about three seconds highlighted and then you just kind of move the, 
you just move, drag on the line. So it almost works like the kind of clip gain handles, so uh, to speak. So it's, it's linked to the edit object much more tightly. Yeah, I don't yeah, think I've got into that. Yeah. Is that in a range mode? Because I haven't really got into that. I'm That's in a range. It's uh, in a range mode. I, yeah. I, I never go there. I occasionally hit tab <laughs> by accident. I, I, but, uh, you know, Ableton Live. I mean, the range mode. You know, it's not a full featured sort of audio door, really. But uh, it's actually a, such a speedy, such a speedy kind of um, uh, environment for working in. Uh, right. You know, so things like automations. I really enjoy it in Ableton. So yeah. Right. Mark Tinley, you're yes. lounging there in a sort of very sedate fashion. It's time for I'm you to get man. to work, man. What sort I of, hate what? automation. Oh, really? Drives me insane. <laughs> I want to be able to see my waveforms and see what's going on, and I don't want yellow lines all over everything, which is what tends to happen in logic, isn't it? So um, I compress the hell out of everything. <laughs> and then, uh, Turn it all up. If I want volume fading, so I can do a fading up to 9,999 milliseconds long by just sticking it on the front or end of a clip. So I chop things up and put fade-ins and fade-outs on them. And if uh, so if it's not going to be something that's fading in or fading out, uh, if I want a quieter section of vocal, for example, I will uh, duplicate the track that I'm working on and drag the the region to another track. So I'll That's interesting. That's not uncommon, is ra- it? Yeah. Rather than automate, you know, have the volumes going up and down, I'll just say, well, the quieter lead vocals on the track below it, and I'll just drag it down onto a lower track. And then actually that means that I might go and fiddle around with some reverb settings. If it's slightly quieter, I might change a couple of things in about the EQ or something. And right. um, so, yeah, I mean, since I still automate uh, sometimes. But the, I mean, the, I know, I know, I know, I know other people who work that way. But the thing about that that I find is, what happens is you end up with massive track counts, yeah. and you forget, and then you end up doing things like so. If you've got a vocal sound you really like, and it's got like an EQ, a compression, something else, something else, something else, when you duplicate the track, you've got to duplicate all of those plugins as well. So you end up doubling all and using all your ears. So it's a it's a very inefficient way of working in from a from a uh, CPU resources point of view. But it it does make absolute sense because I know Will Goldfrapp Will works that way mm-hmm. all the time because it's just easier. It's just it's like easier to kind of process. Go new track, grab that there. Yeah, that's quieter. Thank you. And it's it... but the thing is, once you've got about ten or fifteen different signal paths set up, if you're in the middle of a mix and you can't make something work, it's really interesting to just grab a region and chuck it into another channel and see what happens. Mm. <laughs> so if I've got a guitar that I can't quite get the right sound on, if I shove the guitar through something like I don't know the strings setting, or duplicate it and drop it, you know, so I've got parallel regions. I've got the guitar, and then I've got another identical region going through another channel it sometimes works to kind of meld the mix together to be using the same reverbs or chorus settings or flanging settings or whatever you happen to have in those channel strips right so it sometimes helps glue things together that you can't get to glue together any other way to just drag stuff around duplicate things and drop them on other channels i know it sounds like a weird way of working but it does actually work quite well no, I think it's valid, and it's one that I've personally used myself. And you know, because when you get into automation mode, the only problem that you that I find with all of that is you've you've got your mix set up, you've got your arrangement, or you thought you did. You do a load of stuff with automation and mixing, and then 
somebody says, right, yeah, we need to cut these four balls out here, put that there. And exactly. then the automation just goes completely out the window and all the, the nodes exactly. get screwed up. And there's, and it's just like, oh, it's just, it, that's why, and that's why I probably don't use automation to, mu- to that's exactly much of an extent. That's exactly why I don't use it in logic, yeah. Exactly. Maybe it's not the same in other doors. Uh, no, I mean, this is one of the really annoying things in logic, I have to say. It's, uh, but, you know, I hate logic, so... I mean, but- <laughs> But Pro Tools, the automation seems to be inside the region to a certain extent, doesn't it? So if you mm. drag a region, it tends to take all the automation with it. Yeah, yeah. Right? you get the th- you get the situation where you've got a bit of automation previous to that region because you uh, you needed something to tail out of outside of you know. Do you see what I mean? You automated the yeah, reverb and, and it doesn't go, it. and it's a nightmare. PJ, tell us how you do it. I'm interested to know. Okay, um, so in Cubase, you can move automation around um, as objects with with your audio regions. So th- this doesn't this doesn't present itself as a problem. Um, I tend to. It depends on the piece of music. It depends on what's being done. Um, like Rich and Gaz, I tend to draw automation in. Um, however, I will perform it with a mouse if it's kind of an effecty thing, or I want I want a certain sort of feel and then if i need to f- to fix it you know for for some reason i'll i'll go back and and do that um you know using in the re- in the uh edit page arrange page but the um the issue of malting um came up uh you know duplicating a track and right. using different settings on that track and i do that um quite a bit if there's going to be like an uh you know, a radically different kind of sound, or if I'm doing something in parallel with another something. So sometimes there'll be, um, I guess this isn't really automation, but you might want um, to put something that's slightly compressed or distorted, or heavily compressed or distorted slightly underneath something that's not. And maybe that track has automation on it, or maybe it doesn't. And so I'll definitely duplicate and have that happen. Or if uh, on a vocal or on a featured solo instrument or something like that, something's going to take a radical turn. Mm. Um, Depending on what that turn is, it can either be automated as a send, it might be automated on a plugin on the original track, or I might malt it and then completely change the sound so that it's easy to pull back from. Am I mistaken in thinking that you can plug it, you can add plugins to individual regions in Cubase? I know you can in some doors. And you can process, so you can just, rather than do it on a track basis, you do it on an individual region basis. So that would make malting perhaps less uh, of an issue because you could have a, you know, you could, do you see what I mean? I, 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 I'm pretty sure, does Reaper allow you to do that, Gaz? I'm pretty sure it does, doesn't it? Uh, sorry, I was distracted. Say, say that again. Does Reaper allow you to actually uh, pl- do plug-in, to drop p- plugins on an actual region um- Yes. Rather than the track-based thing, there are a number yeah. of doors, there, but there are a number of doors that do that anyway. Uh, uh, Samplitude, I think, was the first one to sort of bring that in. Uh, but Reaper does that, and it's uh, it's a terrific, terrific uh, thing that is. And uh, I, I am, for me, Reaper is the ultimate mastering environment. Uh, for that reason, right? Yeah, largely to do with that reason, but also what's really cool is you can you can have within a single clip in region, you can have. Um, you can have multiple takes and you can have a different effect on each take within a region. So, you know, it goes to quite a, wow. you can do quite a lot of stuff with it. And it's a very cool way of working. Yeah. Actually that is, you know, and when you get into that, you kind of think, come on, you know, you need everyone else to catch up with that. Cause it's a, it's definitely a, you know, a, a very forward step really. 
Now that's an interesting idea. I haven't uh, I haven't experimented with that kind of as a concept. I'm, I suppose it works because I work in the nonlinear in, in Vegas. Vegas allows you to put plugins and things on particular regions for certainly for not for audio but certainly for video. So I use that quite a lot. You know, if there's this clip that just needs a bit of color correction rather than create a new track, I'd just rather do it on the clip level. So I suppose that works works that way. And most most doors do allow you to move automation data around, don't they? I mean, you know. But it's that stuff which yeah. is where the automation is coming in pre or post to a clip. When you move that and do some edits, it doesn't always follow, at least in logic. You know, maybe that's where I'm... No, it kind of jumps, doesn't it, yeah. suddenly or something. Yeah. Nick, in terms of this uh, automatic um, automatic plugin, the plugin that sort of automates automation, Yeah. Um, this is sort of an interesting new breed of plugin that's been... I, I've been sort of watching this for a little while, as I'm sure probably a lot of the panel have and and uh was talking to somebody recently that was using waves based rider which is a very similar concept to the plugin that you introduced at the beginning of the segment uh-huh. and um they were saying that it works excellent excellently um very, it, it's an excellent solution for sort of auto, automating uh, down to you know in between individual notes on a bass part and evening evening out the part um you know either uh posts recorded compression in EQ or, uh, you know, on a flat bass part and has um, diminished the necessity for other dynamics processing and that kind of thing for this particular engineer's mixing. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, I, I, I haven't used any of them personally, so I don't know hmm. how they would work for me, but um, yeah, somebody, somebody that I know is using them and, and liking them. So it's kind of kind of interesting. Rich, uh, you you were going to come in there. I didn't uh, didn't want you to not have the opportunity to. Oh, I was just responding to your most DAWs do that, and certainly Pro Tools does, and I think most of them too drag the automation with the region when you move the region. Yeah, they don't keep the automation where it was. I know you have an duplicate- option. No, you have an option. It's the things that what I'm what what happens is is when you've got something that's automating slightly before the region starts, like maybe it's a bypass or maybe it's to this or that or the other because you want it slightly ahead of when the audio kicks in and you cut out that four bars and you're moving it around, you're doing arrangement style moving about, that all can get screwed. Certainly it goes in logic anyway. It can get screwed. Well, it won't pull anything before or after the selection, typically. I don't even know if there's a way... something a little bit before the selection, doesn't it? Pro Tools will... Pro Tools will drag... If there's something that seems, it seems to be quite intelligent. If there's a piece of like pitch shift information before the segment starts and you move a segment, it seems to pull the something that's marginally before the the actual downbeat of the bar. So it will pull things slightly before if they run into the. Uh, okay. Well, that, that I mean, that's the sort of stuff that you. But nonetheless, I mean, because there's nothing worse than you know, if you've got halfway round, halfway through a mix, and you're kind of like in this automation mode, and then you change an arrangement, and it all you have to think, oh god, it didn't all work properly. You know, that it, it left a couple of nodes out of my you know pre-fade or whatever, and that's the stuff that's just a pain. You know, and okay, that's well, there were that's why two other two other things that came up along the way that I wanted to talk. Yeah. about. Yeah. One was PJ's comment about duplicating tracks. Did I understand you correctly, PJ, to say that you are going to actually play two voices on two separate, the same voice on two separate tracks in order to achieve these things? No. Um, oh, okay. No, not I the same. <laughs> you do. Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you might. <laughs> Come to think of it. 
<laughs> but what I do, and and this ties into the whole clip based auto, uh, clip based plugin thing too, is what I'll do. Again, in Pro Tools, is I'll pull a pl- I'll pull a plugin and bypass it and automate the bypass switch so it only shows up where I want it. So when I need that distorted, vo- you know, background yeah, vocal to show up just in the second verse, I've got the distortion on the track. It's there for the entire track, but it's sitting there muted. It only comes open at the point where I need it. Right. That does use up. That does use up CPU cycles, though, doesn't it? Even muted. Does it? Yeah, sure. But I I'm not hurting for those. Okay. Yeah. You want to borrow some? Sorry. There's an interesting, uh, slightly off topic, but just coming back to Reaper, something that's a very cool thing that you can do on Reaper. You can you can uh, you can turn a mode on on a track per track basis called uh, free item positioning, and what you can do there is is you can multi track into the same track. Right. So. Um, uh, so for instance, uh, like the other day I was doing a load, a load of hand claps, like, um, eight tracks of hand claps. So rather than having to sort of laboriously set up eight tracks to put them onto, they all go into the same track. So you just literally just set the loop up, just go around and then all of those tracks. And so it's like polyphonic within a single track, um, each, you know, just like a, it's almost like a folder effectively. A folder track. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, but yeah. it's. But but even still, a folder track, each track in that would have to have its own sort of fader and its own sort of, you know, so it would come up on the on the, on the mix. You know, it, it's a very elegant way of having many, mm. many tracks going in, you know, for things like that and backing vocals, if you're doing like oohs and ahs and that kind of thing where you want to sort of triple track and all those parts or whatever, you know, so they can all live on the same track. Uh, but <clears throat> why I'm mentioning that in relation to what we're talking about, though, is, again, you can drop individual plugins on to each one of those within the same track again. So it's uh, it's, a, it's an interesting way of working. I urge everyone to try it because it's um, it's it's it's, yeah. it's great. Big you props know? for Reaper. I use it. I use it on the podcast, in fact. But uh, um, and so so you should try it because it's uh, it's basically free to try. So why wouldn't you give it a go? If, it's just a question of whether you have got the time to do it. But yeah, it's a very good and useful pro. Anyway. Um, Melderproduction.com uh, is where you want to go. They've got a lot of very interesting suites. They've got uh, modern compressor, multiband dynamics. They've got things for kind of auto-conforming and auto-phase alignment, all sorts of interesting stuff. So well worth a visit if you're uh, that, after the it. One, the one about the phase alignment is the one I looked into because that's right. very interesting to me. It actually analyzes pieces of audio you specify and purports to align their phase automatically. Ah, uh, um, Waves have got a plugin that does that as well, haven't they? Yes, they? I believe so. I'm just trying to find the. Uh... They have a new one actually um, that I, I was just emailed by them about um, some with new a, phase alignment tool with a clever pun. Oh, it has a clever pun, but I still can't remember the name of it. Roger, I'm just looking for the uh, mixing. Okay, that's what we're probably looking for. So, uh, so shift, talk- shift happens. That's what it is, right? Shift happens. That's a great show title right there. <laughs> so what does this plugin do? Be- oh, you know. now you got me. I don't know, Mark. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. I think it just analyzes the overall output and changes the, um, you know, and just mu- 
changes the volume output based on the input volume, I'm guessing, and so you can set I parameters. So if I one of those on every single track and then I ran the mix, would it sound like a really good mix? It'd probably sound like everything was as loud as everything else, wouldn't it? I don't know. How does it know how loud to make something in relation to what else? Ah, well, that, that, that I don't know. That I don't know. And I, there's the rub, isn't it? Yeah, who knows that? <laughs> well, I mean, we'll have to see, won't we? But anyway, I think you should check them out. Melder Productions, they've got specials on. It's dirt, they're 70% um, and they do Mac and PC, VST, audio units. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, well worth checking out. Nick, if, uh, if Melda Productions has not figured out the answer to Mark's last question, I am convinced that one day Celimony will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. I'd probably know it before you, before you do yourself, before you've even written the track. Yeah. <laughs> right, so, uh, oh, yeah, this one was a good one to end on. Let's have a look. This, was, uh, th- this one is right here. If you're Mac. It's a beautiful instrument. It's a shame it ended up in my hands, really. The trouble is I modified this one so much that it's probably unfixable now. I don't think this is going to work, this one. Listen. Listen to nothing. Oh, shite. Excuse me. Anti-diluvian <laughs> objects. It's completely knackered. Not a single thing makes a noise. I used to have seven of these. <laughs> don't you know? <laughs> Yeah, good for you, mate. And uh, now, I, I like to think that I like to think that some of those bookshelves are from IKEA. And I don't know. I've just got I've a kind of. I've <laughs> actually been in that room. I don't think they are. Oh, no, you've been there, have you? Oh, good for you. I have, can you remember when I was doing that thing with Leah, the Open Boat Orchestra? Oh, right. She said to me, "Oh, you must come and sing in Brian Eno's choir." And I said, "Okay." So I went round to his house, and I'm pretty sure it was it was that room. And we all sent, stood there and sang. Uh, Did you say p- anti-diluvian? Really nice music. <laughs> it's a, it was a really nice choir. <laughs> Anti-diluvian.com. Yes, that's brilliant. I, I, I enjoyed that. Really, the purpose of that clip was not to uh, to poke fun at Brian Eno, although that's it's an easy target. It, it was more to do with the fact that. Um, you know, how do you decide what to use, what's what's current, you know, what sort of you might use that you need to have to hand and where what what to put, you know, in the garage where you're really going to have a hard time putting it away and where what to get rid of. You know, there's a sort of – they're very stratas of these things, aren't there? And I'm guessing someone like Mr. Eno will have, you know, cupboards and cupboards and, and then maybe a garage and then maybe some storage that's across town, you know, that kind of thing. It's that sort of whole um, strata of equipment. Rich. Yes. Does it work like that? I mean, because you probably have several ways, because you've got your home set up and then you've got the kind of studio set up. I'm guessing with someone like Niall, there are things that he would want to use all the time, whereas, you know, he might, for instance, want to reach for that uh, Rocktron chorus that uh, you just had to have from the 80s that, you know, maybe in a cupboard somewhere or whatever. You know, where does all that stuff live? How does that all kind of, how do those decisions get made? Not necessarily there, but, you know, generally. In terms of what he wants to use? Well, how you get hold of it. You know, what you keep at hand at well, all times. It, uh, what do I keep at hand? I keep at least one or two working Wawa's. There's probably a flanger in the building, but we almost never record with it. Um, there's a Moog envelope filter that I love dearly that we hardly ever use. Uh, and 99% of the guitar recording we do is straight into a Neve, you know, Neve console. So... 
uh, it's not that complicated. Right. Well, really. that's fair enough. That's what his sound has always been, is a combination of DI and amp. But where we work now, it's a residential neighborhood. It's a house. We don't usually, I don't, I'm trying to remember if I can recall ever miking a guitar amp up there. I don't think so. I but when I go to a real studio, like when we recorded guitars for Adam Lambert's forthcoming album, um, I used an amp and a DI and had a blast getting tones. You know, I had microphones everywhere. It was great. It was big fun. Hmm. Okay. Does that answer the question? That, that does. Thank you very much. And now, um, Gaz, I mean, you, you're quite um, impulsive when it comes to just shedding this stuff, as far as I can gather, from what I know of you. And, you know, you might have regrets after a little while, but what are the criteria that, uh, that, that, that trigger that response in you? Ooh. Um, well, as in... Uh, as in, if I, if I've sold something, and then... well, I mean, no, I mean, it's like I don't need this anymore, or oh, I do right, need I it, you. but I'm not going to keep it in the room. You know, what what are those various? Uh, yeah, because I'm, I mean, I'm literally listing about thirty items at the moment to sell. So I've been, I've been really downsizing, getting rid of lots of stuff. So the criteria, and actually, I'm getting rid of a lot of stuff which I'd kind of like to keep. Um, so. To answer the question, then I think it's uh, I've just been trying to be really honest with myself and thinking uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make a really uh, efficient way of working. So, is is this item does it fit into this fast way of working, or is it actually more trouble than it's worth? For instance, I'm selling my valve mics because I just can't be bothered with all the power supplies and stuff with them, and uh, uh, mm. so. Because that's an extra. I, I, this is for my remote stuff, you see. Right. Um, okay. Uh, you know, so if I take my valve mic out, then it's taken out the power supply. Da da da. So, so yeah, the, yeah. so that that would be one criteria. If it's a little bit more sort of hassle to to set up. Um, secondly, um, the iPad kind of replaces a lot of stuff in my studio. A lot of kind of control surfaces and. Uh, um, Things like drum machines and some effects units and certain bits and bobs. It, like the iPad can kind of do a lot of that stuff. So all that stuff is kind of on its way out. Um, I sometimes think as well that if something is going to become obsolete, um, oh, yeah. You've got to get you rid know, of it quick before it becomes really obsolete, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, like I, I didn't I missed the I missed the trick there with my um, power <laughs> core, so I'm stuck with my power core. Uh, so. I, I sold mine. I did actually manage to sell mine. Uh, I think I got a couple of hundred quid for it. Right. Uh, I, you know, that's a weird one, Lacey. With these kind of things like the, like I've got a power core and I've got a liquid mix, um, I've got those items insert you know i've got lots of projects from my ah, past. That, that still have that, yeah 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 I see hmm. what you so mean. if i'm gonna rec- if i do need to recall them for any reason then you know it's they're not going to play back as i want them to uh, uh right. and then so uh yeah so uh, well, that's I a guess... good criteria, you know, if you're going to need it again because you've got it's it's part of something that still lives. That yeah. that's true. So I will tend to hold on to things in that respect. Uh, otherwise, I mean, it's I'm just looking around now at what I've actually kept. Um, uh, you know, I mean, the computer just does so much, doesn't it, these days? Yeah. You know, so 
good front end, good good preamps and mics, and a computer and monitors, and that's it, really, isn't it? You know. Yeah. I, I know. I'm, I mean, one thing for me, you know, we've moved, and I've got two rooms. Those two behind both of those blue doors are just piles and piles of stuff <laughs> that was basically in a box in the previous office. And I don't even know what most of it is there for, to be honest. <laughs> so I probably should do some of that. But I mean, you know, things like this and the, the, the props. I mean, I don't use my Jupiter 6 very often. But, you know, like you said, Rich, in, uh, in the chat room, some stuff is there just to look good. You know, I mean, that's uh, but that and that's that has a that has a sort of valuable point because you don't want to be working in something that just looks like a kind of office with a load of filing cabinets and a, and a computer screen. You know, there has to be a sort of element to it. I know. Um, what about you, Mark? Because I know you've got garages and uh, you've, you you tend to... You, uh, would it be fair to say you hoard or are you pretty good? Mm, it's motorbikes I'm hoarding at the moment. I'm going to have a massive eBay sale of motorbikes. Um, but yes, audio things. So what's my criteria for something? Well, for, well, it has to be something that... In order for me to keep something and think it's worth keeping, it needs to be something that you would take so long to replicate in any other way, shape or form that it just wouldn't be worth sitting down and doing it. <clears throat> so, I've, And some things just have a very certain sound that I really like that I haven't found in any other format. So the boss, boss made a purple flanger with four knobs on it in the 80s called a Boss BF2, I think. It's a mm. guitar pedal. Sounds really good, and I've, got, I've kept one of those. Um... <clears throat> Casio toy samplers. I mean, it would take so long to replicate what they do in plugins that it's easier to keep them. Uh, I've got a Powertran MCS1, which is a MIDI sampling delay, which you just oh, yeah. wouldn't be able to find anywhere, <laughs> which you can you can uh, record loops into it, and then you can twist the pitch knob up and down and record different things in while you're twisting the pitch knob up and down, and then you can press another button and it puts it into sampling mode, so it works like so so far mark all i'm hearing is i've just kept everything no (laughs) so what have you got rid of and what you know what what, but what's the you know so stuff that you that you can't replicate anywhere else sure but i mean do you actually ever you know that's great but do you use any of that stuff i mean are you is it something that you might reach for or have it to hand or is it yeah i've got a special box i've got a big silver box that i take to studios if i'm working with anyone in the studio i'll take this big pile of crap basically <laughs> in a fancy case <laughs> which has some and it's sort of like things that you can get a sound out of relatively quickly and they do things that you couldn't do with a plug-in so i don't know another one electro harmonics baseballs it's like this weird foot pedal thing that goes on, on a bass just has this weird filter followed sound but you can't there's no plug-in that does it so i would you know pull that out the bag to do that okay. the Yamaha SPX50D just sounds so ridiculously horrible, the distortion in that, that there's nothing else that sounds like that, but it's a really good sound. So uh, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. So sort of... I think, am I right in saying the person that asked the question initially sort of said, what things would you recommend might become future classics? Well, the actually, no, there was, yeah, because it was sort of tied to this email from uh, Bill Shaver from Toronto, uh, Canada. Uh, Canada, and he said, loves the podcast, wish could do it daily. Um, uh, that would be a task. Um, See, um, so my recommendation to everybody would be go and buy a V-Synth of some sort, shape or form, delete all the internal waveforms and use the 
oscillators in there and not the waveforms and it's actually a really good synth with with the not sampled wave well they're still sampled waveforms but with the sawtooth square tooth pulse and various different things it's got nice pulse which i can't say it pulse, pulse width modulation width modulation on it it can make the it can make some really good fat synth sounds and it sounds as good if not better than any of the analog emulations that i've heard and then when you do start throwing samples in it playing around with that pitch and time thing i mean i know you can do it in contact but it doesn't do it quite the same way the roland system in terms of like being able to stretch and elasticate audio and being able to immediately come up with um harmonies for things by literally playing them on a keyboard is absolutely brilliant is that v-synth gt not just a regular v-synth oh, just a regular, a regular one. Oh, right okay not, um, but I mean, if you can't afford one of those, which I didn't think I could a while back, but now I have, uh, the Roland VP9000 sampler is also really good. And I've yeah. got one for sale, actually. No, now. well, we did I a thing it. on that. I mean, it did look pretty amazing, actually. For you know, <clears throat> It did get overlooked, I think, a little bit. Um, PJ. Yes, sir. Uh, Your well, turn. <laughs> I, I kind of break break this down into two separate criteria for letting go of things and or not letting go of things and one is how useful is it to me and two and i i guess i kind of had to come to terms with this when sort of reviewing my own my own choices in this matter are what am i emotionally attached to ah Um, because there are some things that apparently i am emotionally attached to that i could probably get rid of um one is an old SR16 drum machine that I still have hanging around and has just sort of been a studio curiosity. Like anybody that walks into my workspace and sees it, either recognizes it as imme- immediately and says, oh, I had one of those, or I remember those, or wow, I forgot about those. Or somebody will say, what the hell's that? I've, I've never seen one of those. So it's, you know, it's, I, I like that, that little little piece and i keep it around um because i'm milestone milestone technology really as well wasn't it yeah i for me for sure um and uh another piece like that uh currently i'm beginning to realize i'm not using very much anymore my roland vk7 um as i'm using mostly as a controller my nord my nord piano and various other bits and bobs that i use to twiddle knobs i have an emu controller and machine for doing knobs and pads and and faders and whatnot um and so i'll have to wait and see whether or not um you know that's something i could i could let go of and whether or not i actually will because i've made so much music on it and i, I love it so much that i might uh, just keep it around for that reason it's it's somehow made it into into sort of a, a place of veneration. Now, I'm not like that about a lot of things. I'm, I'm pretty pretty easy to let go of things. So currently, um, selling some Genelec monitors, um, a Toft ATB board, um, some microphones, just things that are that are not in use and will not get use or see use, and would be better to uh, some Apogee conversion. Um, you know, some some things that uh, that I know are just kind of taking up space. Space and uh, dollars, yeah, you can still sell those for a, a reasonable amount, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, we can hopefully, you know, recover some recover some dollars 
from mm. from selling some of this gear. And, I mean, that's and, to an extent that that's what you know I've been trying to do. I've, I, in fact, I've uh, I, I, I sold the prophecy. Remember the prophecy that we I bought live on air one week. Yeah, uh, a few, I've sold it back to I sold it to Dave, who said he would uh, pick it up if we ever wanted to get rid of it because I I enjoyed playing it for a couple of weeks and then it just basically stayed in the box for a while because there was nowhere for it to go. So it's going to a good home, but and it's funding the new HDMI camera switching unit that's arriving tomorrow. So so you know it's like you got to do it like that. It's an interesting theory. I, I just think it's kind of fun to uh, express these things. Anyway, that email, uh, um, I didn't actually get to read it all, but it was uh, Brian, uh, Bill Shaver, sorry, from uh, from Canada. He just wondered what might be classic in the future. I mean, we sort of partly answered that, so I'm sorry we didn't get around to the, the fullness of it. But um, that was, uh, it, the thing that sparked it all off was the Eno clip, and that was from an uh, Arena Special, uh, which is a UK sort of arts programme that was... Uh, all about. And I would love to have. Uh, I would really like to spend some time with Brian Eno in a DX7 and get him to show me what it did that, that you know, made him so excited. Because I've never, I... I've never done that, and it would be kind of fun. Sorry, Mark, you about to say? Very quickly, then, before I turn into an alien again, I need to find a Yamaha CS80. So, if anybody has a CS80 for sale, would they please contact me? Well, Kent, um, Kent in the chat room, Kent, Mr. Spong is uh, Mr. CS80 fix it. He might well be able to uh, help you out there. But I, I did also, somebody um, pointed out that I think it was Tony, Mac Doctor, who's uh, uh, helps with the show notes and switching sometimes. He said that the one on eBay just went for $16,000. <laughs> so, so they are well, about the most expensive. Well, maybe, maybe one day V-Synths will go for that sort of money. I don't know how much money this person's got to, to buy one for. I imagine... A reasonable Probably. amount. If you want one, then you, you in, would. In the yeah. chat room, Shane says there's a place in New Jersey that has one. Ah, uh, Three Wave Music in New Jersey has a CS80. Oh, okay, brilliant. Uh, actually, I can see that there, so, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think we're probably. Um, it feels like we're at the uh, at the point at which we say goodbye to everybody. It feels like um, we've had a. It's been it's been nice to not be inundated with terrible technical difficulties, and the stream's been holding up. So I think we've now got a system that's going to be uh, okay. And did I show you my ladder? I'm very proud of it. Look, that's my trussing over there. I can't see you at all. Oh, I'm going to switch the video uh, on just for it. Okay, okay, I'm going to switch it on now, and then uh, the, just just a special treat towards the end of the show, so that my my participants can see what's coming back at them. Uh, can you see me yet, folks? No, no. Spinning, right. no. spinning, spinning wheel. wheel. Okay, that's my my that's while my Mac probably goes into CPU over, ah. overdrive. There we Whoa. go. There he is. There we go. There's my. I've I've hung a ladder ah. as trussing ah. across the width of the uh, of the room. I see. <laughs> Which, if Excellent. you well, if you buy Tritrus, it's about that would have cost about five or six hundred pounds probably, and that right. was sixty pounds. <laughs> so that's that? that's the kind of saving I like to keep. Anyway, I won't go on about it. Um, well, you I have gone on about it quite a lot actually, but <laughs> so I probably that, will. That, do you mean that triangular aluminium stuff? Is that yeah, yeah, the the, the tri-trust that has... You can buy a lectern, you know, like I do public speaking, you can buy a three-way aluminium tri-trust lectern, right, for yeah. speaking. If you buy, like, a music stand, they're 15 quid, but if you buy the tri-trust lectern, they're about 400 quid. Yeah. I'm with you there. 
I'm just hoping that I'm hope we're obviously not going to hang anything too uh, heavy on it, but it's just going to be LED lights and the occasional camera. But anyway, I digress. Once again, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. It's been a pleasure and uh, been good to focus on the chit chat rather than the technical nonsense. So we'll say uh, first of all, Mr. Gaz Williams uh, from SongSurgeon.co.uk. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we shall see you um, tomorrow, hopefully, for the uh, the next enthralling enthralling episode of uh, Sonic Touch. So thank yep. you very much for joining us. I've got my, uh, I'm performing tomorrow evening uh, in Bristol, St. George's Hall, which is a lovely big venue, um, with the Ennio Morricone Orchestra, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. Not with Ennio Morricone himself. <laughs> ah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That sounded really dece- deceiving there. Uh, playing the music of Ennio Morricone in an orchestra. Oh, that um, sounds fantastic. What great fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm just off now for rehearsal. I've got to be there at six, so I'm going to have to oh, check brilliant. off now. All right. Cheers, are, are Gaz. You play, are you playing bass, Gaz, in that? Yes, I am, yeah. Fant- fantastic. Good luck. Okay. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful, wonderful music. It's amazing. Yeah. Excellent, excellent work. Uh, okay, and we'll also say uh, thank you very much to Rich Hilton there from uh, Connecticut, uh, Hiltonius.com, while he's there. Thank you very much for joining us, Rich. And also thanks, everybody, for all your help and offers of help um, for alternatives to Skype and trying to debug this. It looks like we've we've kind of got somewhere we can work with. So thank you very much, everybody. And um, we'll say goodbye also to PJ Tracy, uh, pjtracymusic.com. Thank you very much for joining us, PJ. Been a pleasure having you aboard. Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate it. And um, happy fun times with your continued studio setup. And we're going to be doing some more of that um, over the next couple of days ourselves as well. So I'm really excited. And also to Mark Tinley, uh, (laughs) likebeing.com. Where are you, Mark? I'm just looking for a Mark Tinley there. There's Mark. Thank you very much for joining us as well, Mark. You're very welcome. Sorry I turned into an alien. That's all right. I believe in LFOs. Three-wave music appears to have told that CSA. So if anyone hears of another one, please let me know. And tell me, please uh, please send me a link to your ladders, because I want to start making, like, uh, you know, lecterns and selling them for four hundred pounds. I oh, really well. It's just, honestly, it's just home base. It's a ladder from home base, a two-step, two point eight meter, two-part ladder that stretches out to five meters. That's it. All oh, right. That's okay. all it is. So anyway, folks, thank you very much, um, and I will speak to you again s- next week. I hope, and we hope to see you in person, PJ. Oh uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. That's it for another week. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, if I put that up there, then it's sort of Sonic Talk 256. Goodbye, and thank you very much. Over and out. Goodbye.